Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this great day that we've had and the beauty that you've created. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide and lead us in what you would have us to see from all of this. In your son's precious name, amen. amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 113. I hate vain thoughts, but your law do I love. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, and I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Hold you me up and I shall be safe and I will have respect unto your statutes continually. You have trodden down all them that err from your statutes for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. All right, so we're going to look at this uh, as we continue on. We're at the letter Semek, which means uh, hand on a staff or support. And it's kind of what we're seeing in this section. Uh, it says, I hate vain thoughts, but your law do I love. And this word for hate is a very interesting word in Hebrew. It is to hate something that God hates, you know, uh, or acceptable hatred in, in a sense. Huh? A boar. A boar? Just abhor? Oh, abhor. Yes. Uh, yeah, it could be that kind of word. But it says, I hate vain thoughts, divided thoughts, worthless thoughts, uh, half-hearted thoughts. Mine says, my flesh trembles in fear. In verse 113? Oh, when, I'm going to Okay, <laughs> I was going to say, that would be an interesting translation of that word, that word for hate. <laughs> uh, me too. Uh, what Psalm was it again? Huh? 113. 113. What? Psalm 119, verse 113. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, mine says that I hate double. Okay. Yeah, the, the split... The split thoughts, the divided thoughts. This is the idea, and, but he says, I love your law, do I love? This is the whole idea of do we love God's thoughts as opposed to the world's thoughts? And we've talked many times about this, how God has a truth that he gives out, and the world has many falsehoods that, that it tries to get us to believe. Satan has all, a number of lies for every truth that God has. And some of them are so close to the truth sometimes that they sound valid if we're not very careful about knowing God's word. And we see this, I mean, how often do we settle for something that's good as opposed to doing the best? And Satan loves to do that to you. Let me get you so busy in the church that you burn yourself out rather than doing the one thing you're supposed to do in the church. And you're going, well, I'm doing good things. If I didn't do them, they wouldn't get done. Well, if maybe, you're, maybe if you're not doing them, they shouldn't be done. If God hasn't called you to do it, then don't do it. And this is something that's very important. What are you called to do? You know, do what is best, not what is good. Because we could get ourselves really busy doing good things and keeping ourselves so busy that we don't ever take time off for ourselves. We don't take any time out to consider what God wants us to do. And I can tell you one thing. If you're doing what God wants you to do, you'll be busy enough. You don't have to worry about trying to do all the other good things. And never, ever do something just because you think it has to be done. Because that's the wrong reason to do it. I've seen many people serving, especially in nurseries and churches. They do it just because it has to be done. Well, if I don't do it, the babies will be, in, the mothers won't come or the babies will be in church. Well, that's decisions they'll have to make. Because uh, tell, I've told many pastors, if I can solve your, your, son, your nursery troubles real fast, just close the nursery for a couple weeks. Volunteers You'll get volunteers all over the place for one, one, one Sunday a month. Uh, yeah, well, maybe then kids need to learn to sit in a church. Now, that's a whole debate also amongst itself is should you have a junior church? Should there be a place for kids or do they need to learn a little bit of discipline to be able to sit still for a little while? There's a huge debate on that that goes on and in today's world it's pretty much settled. No, they can't sit that long. The adults can't sit that long. And it's really sad that many adults can't sit more than 20 minutes at a time without being entertained somewhere along the lines. And 
you know, we're having that big problem in this world right now. There's a big debate in churches, well, you can't speak for 20, 30 minutes because people won't sit still and listen that long. You have to break it up with something and then come back. Uh, Spurgeon said there's going to come a time when the, when the people will not sit for a two-hour two hour, uh, service. And now we can't even get them to sit for an hour service. And he was saying, you know, we're going to get down to a two-hour bef- before they start complaining. They won't even want that. And that's not a problem. Yeah. You know, Paul, Paul preached so long that a guy fell asleep in the window and fell out at midnight. Okay, it doesn't say when he started, but you know you got to be thinking. They probably started around dark, you know, when the when the sun was going down and they stopped working. So five six o'clock he started, and six hours later, he's still preaching, and the guy falls asleep in the window, and then has to be resurrected. And then they and if you read it carefully, they go back upstairs and continue the service. Okay, how many of us have ever been to a six-hour service? They're very, very rare. Even in my lifetime, they've been very, very rare to have a, that long a service. Now, I'm not just talking about sings, but yeah, but that's about the only time you'd have it. I've actually sat in services where you would have a long period of time all night long. And it's wonderful if you love God's word. And as from a teacher's perspective, if you've got people who are willing to listen that long, oh man, how wonderful it is as a teacher just to have everything pulled out. And... You know, this poor guy, what an embarrassment. You're, you know, you're sitting there watching, you're listening and listening and listening, and then you fall out the window. <laughs> you know, you just become the center of attention for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> and then it gets, you know, gets resurrected, and they go right back up and continue. You know, that's desiring God's word. That's really wanting to know God's word. I hate vain thoughts. I hate double-minded thoughts. I hate empty thoughts, but I love your word. God's word is what we need to be focused on so that we can make all of our decisions. All of our decisions need to be based upon what does God say. And you know, I've done enough counseling over the years that a lot of people don't want to hear what God says when they come in for counseling. They just want to have a bunch of good words. Well, I really think you should be saying I should do this. Well, no, I don't think so because this is what God says. Well, I'm not sure I agree. Well, you're arguing with God, not me. That's the best thing about being able to go and do your counseling from God's word because when they say, well, I just don't think that's true, I'm going, well, your argument isn't with me, it's with God. And it's a very safe place to be if you're going to do counseling. Verse 114, you are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. God is our hiding place, our secret place. We've talked a lot about this, that God just wants us hiding in him. He is our hiding place and our shield. And it says, I hope in your word. What else do we have to hope in? God's word is proven true over and over and over again. Um, I was watching a, the, the show, is, is Genesis History by Dill Tackett. And it was kind of an interesting thing because he's talking to all these guys and, and scientists and doctors and all these different science uh, venues. And they're all going, when you take the ev- scientific evidence and put it against the scripture, it answers all your questions. When you try to use the scientific uh, dogma of evolution, and never, never, and get, always understand that evolution is not scientific, it is philosophy. Okay, there's nothing scientific about evolution. It's a different way of understanding the proofs, and it doesn't hold up, which is why it's not a law after all these years of studying it, because they're finding more and more problems with evolution. So, we look at this and say, I'm going to put my hope in your word. God, you said it. It's true. And the good news when you take that stance is eventually the proofs come out that God's word is true. We look at something as simple as did David ever exist? Until 1950, they had found no proof that David ever existed. He was King Arthur for Israel. You know, he didn't, there wasn't in a real, real person. And all of a sudden they started finding all the evidence that David existed. And so we see if we stand on God's word, it always proves true. And this is the fun thing about standing on his word. Because we go, okay, you're having trouble with it? Go ahead, that's okay, it's going to be true. You're going to find out that it's true eventually. One way or the other, you're going to find out it's true. The book of Daniel, everybody said, well, Daniel had to have been written late, late uh, 
in the BC years, you know, before Jesus came, and then all of a sudden they found the Dead Sea Scrolls dating back 400 years before Jesus, and lo and behold, the book of Daniel was in it, intact, the way it was written. You know, and they're going, well, how did he know? Well, God told him. <laughs> Plain and simple, God told him. And God knows the beginning from the end and everything in between and was, is able to share it with whomever he wants to share it with. So we want to keep hold of his word. My hope, my expectation, my confidence is in his word. Uh, anywhere else and we're lost. Verse 115 says, Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Basically, he is saying, turn aside, get away from me, evildoers. Because I'm going to keep God's word. Hopefully, this is something that many people who have turned to God have seen. You turn to God, you become a Christian, and eventually, all your non-Christian friends usually will start disappearing. One by one, many at a time, whatever. But they just start disappearing. Why? It's not necessarily even that you're preaching at them all the time. But it's something like, well, let's go out, and, let's go out to the bar Friday night and, and go pick some people up and just have fun. Well, I don't think I want to get drunk and I don't want to think I want to pick somebody up. Well, you're just a party pooper. You don't want to ever have any fun. You know? And eventually they stop inviting you. And they stop hanging out with you. If they're wanting to hang out with you, there's probably something wrong with your witness. Because if the lost world wants to be with you, it says a lot. Uh, during our evangelism training, there's always a, a person who says they're a Christian and, and their friends are laughing at them behind their back. And I love it because Ray Comfort will go, well, why are your friends laughing at, the, at you? And Because we know that they're not a very good Christian. <laughs> you know, uh, but you know, as funny as that is, it's also very sad. Just as we spoke about today, we are living epistles. What kind of Christianity are we having people read about in a, from our life? When they look at us, are they seeing something that's different from the way they live? Are they seeing something that's different from the rest of the world? Or are they just seeing somebody who lives like they do and has a title Christian on it? And the really sad thing is for many Christians, they're living just like the world and they're just tacking Christian on their life. And a very sad thing to be looking at. We need to be... Yeah, yeah, and they and they judge all Christians yeah. by that by that by standard that of Christianity, and the sad thing is though that the majority probably out there of people that say they're Christian are that way, which makes it hard when you're somebody that's standing up for Christ and trying to live a Christian life. Same process we're seeing in denominations right now. We've got so many denominations that are selling out God's word to be liked by the world. Many denominations are now saying that there's nothing wrong with homosexuality. They have homosexual pastors. They're, you know, there's many denominations out there. And then the world looks like, well, well, we've got this group over here. They have no problem with it. What's your problem? Well, my problem is that God says it's a sin. Well, what, they don't have that. You know, we've got to understand it's going to get worse. As people start doing what's right in their own eyes, as we're told is going to happen, it's going to make things worse for those of us that are really trying to follow God's word. And it's going to be critical. It's going to get very hard to deal with as we go further and further into this world of people doing what's right in their own eyes and being judged when we try to follow God's word. And we want to keep this up. I want to send, stay away from me. God, turn away the evildoers. Don't even tempt me. Yeah, unfortunately, sometimes if you hang around with the wrong crowd, you're going to be drawn away. And this is something, we have to walk a fine line as Christians. We need to spend time with the lost world so that we have somebody to evangelize, but we can't be hanging so much with the lost world <laughs> that we're drawn into their sins and bad lifestyle. And it's a very fine line, very fine line that we're walking. Verse 116 says, Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Uphold me, support me, give, me, give me support. Support me according to your word. Where's our support come from? God's word. God's word is what gives me my support. God's word is what keeps me upheld. God's word is what keeps me on the straight and narrow path. But I love this. 
Uphold me with your word that I may live. And this word for may live is a very strong one that says that I may remain alive. Have you ever been to this place where you start walking away from God's word and you just feel dead inside as you get further and further away from God's word and from his people and from his spirit? You're still saved. You're still, if you're, if you're his child, you're still saved, but you just get a dead feeling inside. Uh, you get away from his word for a couple days. You get away from his people for a couple days. And you just start feeling starved, and that's really what it is. God's word is the food for our soul, our spirit more specifically. And it's just the same thing as if you don't eat for a couple days or, or a week or two, your body feels weak and, and sluggish. If we don't fill our spirit up with God's word, our spirit will be very sluggish and weak. And when we get to that point, we will also be subject to the soul who has been fed with the things of the world getting stronger and leading us astray. Now, and we get to this place where, why did I just do what I did? Well, it might have a little something to do that you haven't read God's word for a couple of days. You haven't been concentrating. You haven't been meditating on God's word. Or all I've done is read it. And you know, reading God's word is better than not reading his word. But you know, studying and meditating on his word is what's really important. Because I can read it, I can read it like a book. Okay, I'm going to read two chapters, my, my three or four chapters every, every day, and I'm going to religiously do that. But if all I'm doing is reading it like any other book, it will have some effect because it's God's word. But if I'm not meditating on his word, you know, it's not doing it any good. It would be better to read one or two verses and meditate on them than to read four, three or four or five, six chapters. Uh, fundraiser that the youth used to do in my previous church, every, every year they'd do a fundraiser. They'd read through the Bible in a weekend. Okay. Now really what they didn't did was they didn't read it. They would put an audio tape of it on and they'd speed it up real fast. So that you could barely hear the words coming out and go, well, we read the whole Bible in the, in the weekend. Uh, and I'm going, well, not really. I was impressed the first, time, first couple times they did until I found out what they were doing. It takes me a year. It takes me a full year to get through it. Now, I could read it, I could read it in, a, in a couple days or a week if all I did was sit there and read it. But how much value would there be going through it that fast? There's no meditation on that. There's no consideration of what you've read. Yeah, you get a lot of stuff stuck in your head. But God is not saying, get my words stuck, word stuck in your head and eventually they'll do something. He says, meditate on my words, study my words, consider. And David, all through this book, all through this uh, psalm is being, consider, meditate. Meditate on God's word. And that's why I'm saying it would be better to just take one or two verses and meditate on them than to just read huge chunks of it and say, well, God, I read a lot of your word. What value is that? It's better than not doing it, but it's not the strong way to do it. And one of the things we talk about in how to study the Bible is most Christians at best read the word. And the sad thing is there's only about 15% of the population of Christians who read God's word daily. 15% of all those who claim Christ read the word daily. The sad thing is, just think about that. Out of everybody who claims to be a Christian, only about one in five, less than one in five, reads, even reads the Bible daily. And of the other, 80, uh, other 85%, most of them don't read the Bible at all, maybe once a week at best. But to me, that is such a sad state of affair for Christianity. And then you ask people, how many people have ever read the Bible through from cover to cover? Now, in our church, we emphasize it, so it's probably a lot larger percentage in our church than most churches. But do you realize in the average church, the only one who's probably read the Bible is the pastor and maybe one or two other people in, in a large church have read the Bible cover to cover? It's terrible. You know, if you don't believe me, start asking some of you people that you, uh, you know, some of the people you know read their Bible. Have they ever read the book of Joel, Amos, Obadiah? And I mean, Obadiah is a really hard book to read. It's only one chapter. It's a power-packed chapter. You know, 
Most, most Christians haven't even read the book of Jude or Philemon in the New Testament. Okay, and they're only really short books. Because then I would be pursuing how do you get to heaven and that type of stuff to make sure they understand it's by Jesus Christ only. And because too many people in America do not understand what being a Christian really is all about. Well, some don't even believe that far. You know, they're just a Christian. You don't hear it quite as much as you did before the, before the 70s, but there used to be a time when, of course, I'm a Christian, I'm American. Okay? Uh, you don't hear that as much as you used to. But we got to understand uh, Barnum, who does re re research for Christianity, he says that he believes that there's, only, there's less than 50% of the average, the person who claims to be a Christian is really saved. I think he's being way too generous. I believe that it probably is only 10 or 20% of the population of the average church is saved. To go through every word of the Bible, line upon line, precept upon precept, and some of them are hard to preach. That's why expositional teaching is making a comeback. It used to be the only way pastors taught, line upon line through the books, and then they started slipping away from it. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't go on to a topic once in a while and say, okay, this is a topic It's very important. Like today, I went off... You know, we went on Colossians 1, and then I went over to Corinthians and talked about the body because that's really what it was talking about. It's not that we can't go off on a different topic once in a while, but our purpose is to go through the book. Goal, at least my goal, and the good goal of any really good pastor is to take us through every word of the Bible, every concept, the stuff that's fun to teach, the things that are hard to teach. Uh, and we want to just keep that in mind that some of the things are very hard. Sometimes, some of the times when I'm, I'm preaching, I'm preaching to myself as well as I'm, go, as I'm preaching to the, to, to, the, to the rest of the church. Because it's, you look at this and say, wow, this is an area I'm struggling in, but God is the next, it's the next phrase in this, uh, in this book, so I'm going to have to teach it. You know, it also makes it easier because people think you're stepping on their toes is because it's the next thing in the book, so it's really, you know, sorry is what goes next. But, you know, I, this whole idea is I will keep your commandments and he says uphold me and I will live support me God through your word and I will live and then he goes on and let me not be ashamed of my hope if I'm trusting in his word I'm not going to be ashamed of his hope now if I'm trusting in my own interpretation of what the word says I'm going to have lots of problems you know, we talked about Barnum and one of his questions that he's asked people is is Satan real? Do you realize that less than 10% of all Christians believe that Satan is a real individual? Mm -hmm. Most of them think that he's some kind of, if they want to believe him at all, that he's some kind of theory of bad. What was the numbers? Less than 10%. Is God's word verbally accurate and true? Very, they're very small percent believe this. You know, get this. The majority of even Christians believe that Jesus sinned while he was alive. Okay. All these things are totally wrong according to scripture, and yet people believe it. Even those who claim to be Christians believe wrong doctrine. They're going to fall into this to be ashamed because of what they believe. They're not believing God's word. You know, we, we've talked about, you know, can you be a Christian and not believe in creationism and believe in evolution? Yeah, you can be. I don't know why you would, because you deny original sin, and you deny, you know, deny Adam and Eve and all these other things, so why did Jesus come in the first place? But yeah, you could be saved by not believing it. But it, it sure makes your life, rest of your life pretty hard to, to justify. I believe that I'm going to heaven, I believe that Jesus died for sin, but I don't believe that man's responsible for sin in the first place, so... Why did Jesus come? You know, every word of God must be true because it lays a foundation for everything else. If you deny any part of his word, what do you stand on? God, I'm going to pick and choose what I want to believe because I am God. You know, I'm going to choose what is true and what's not true because, God, I just don't like this phrase over here, so I'm going to throw it out of the book and, you know, God is no longer God. I'm God because I'm the one that's standing in judgment over what I'm going to believe. And then when you stand before God, he says, you didn't believe in me, goodbye. We've got to understand God's word is true. 
and I've said this over and over, if there is anything that is not true in the word of God, the whole book is worthless. And there's a lot of people who don't like hearing that, but it is what it is. If any word, any statement in this scriptures is false, how can I take and hope that my eternity is secure? If God has lied to us in the only book that we have telling us about him, how can we trust him to keep us into, the, into eternity? It all must be true. And as J. Bernie McGee says, where, where, where he and the word disagrees, the word is correct. Yeah. And I grabbed hold of that. If I disagree with what I read, the problem isn't God's problem, it's my problem. And I have to figure out why I'm disagreeing with what God says. Am I misunderstanding it? Or is it being taught wrong? And there, believe me, I've been to many different denominations over my lifetime, and I've had some false teachings stuck into my brain. Most of it's cleaned out now over, these, over the years. But I've had bad teaching put into my brain because of different denominations. And I've told you there were times when I would come to God and go, God, I just don't understand. You know, as Aunt, as Annie said, the Baptist taught me this on this verse, and the Pentecostal church that we're visiting here is teaching something else. Which one is true? And God said, neither. <laughs> Here's the truth. And over years, I've been able to find out that, yes, he was right. So you have to be also careful about what you're hearing pastors and teachers teach you. Get back into the word. Be a good Berean and study the word. And take what they say. It's a good starting place if they're a good, sound teacher. But I've shared with you that the pastors I listen to on the radios that I generally agree with sometimes will say stuff and I'm going, where in the world do they get that from? I don't know where this guy's coming from because he didn't even tell the story according to the Bible. <laughs> you know, or he didn't, this application that he had isn't scriptural. Good pastors, good teachers can give you bad information because they're not doing it on purpose. It might be something that got stuck in their head when they were a kid. You know, and those of us who grew up in the church are really sensitive to this because you know, what you're taught as a child will stick with you. And it's very important. This is one of the reasons I am very picky about who is ever going to teach our children because whatever's taught to that child is going to be remembered. And unless they have a really good teacher at some point in their lifetime, they're going to remember, well, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't teach me what so-and-so taught me when I was in second grade. Well, I'm sorry, but... So-and-so back in second grade didn't teach you what the word said. And it's very important, very critical. If you're going to be a teacher, you're, you're going, or a pastor, you're in, responsible for what you teach people. And the sad thing is, I know there's things that I taught wrong 20, 30 years ago as a teacher, as I've, been, as I've learned more and more of God's word. And all I can do is pray, God, I hope you let them forget that. Put a teacher in their path that's going to reteach them correct. You know, because I, I did it honestly. I didn't, treat, I didn't try to mislead them, but there are things that God has changed my thinking on over 40 years of study. And some of it has been. Teacher so-and-so in third grade taught me this when I was in Sunday school. And this is what I believe. And sometimes you look at it and say, wow, I've believed that all my life. And you get hit between the eyes with something that's totally different. And so we want to make sure our hope is in his word so that we won't be made ashamed. Verse 117, hold you me up and I shall be safe and I will have respect unto your statutes continually. Oh, he says, hold me up, support me. You know, God is so wonderful of that. When we are weak and we're hiding in him, he holds us up. He holds us by the hand and says, I've got you. He is the good shepherd. We kind of go around the other side of the hill, the hill and we're, we're, we're buying and, and, and beating because we can't see the rest of the sheep. And he walks around and says, over this way, right over here. And Jesus is so kind to us. He doesn't chide us when we go wrong. He doesn't make us feel guilty. He just says, we're over here. He's very gentle. And this is what true love is. It just says gentle. Now, if we won't respond to the gentleness, he does have a staff that can drag us where he wants us to be or lay a couple stripes on us if that's how far we want to go. But, you know, so often, especially in my lifetime, I found him just being gentle. Do this. Do that. Come over here. Come, come over here on this side of where, where we're at. 
and if we're then if I want to be stubborn, and too many times I have been, I've had to have the two by four or eight, eight by eight or whatever you want to say applied to, <laughs> applied to me a couple of times. And he's saying, okay, you want the stripes? You can have the stripes. But I really want to just be gentle. Same thing when we raise our kids. Isn't it more fun when all you do is you correct your kids verbally and they do what you want and you don't have to heavily discipline them? You know, I hated giving my kids spankings. I hated taking privileges away from them. You know, now they didn't think so, but, but I hated doing that. I did not want to cause my kids pain. I loved it when they would just respond and do what they were asked to do because it was what was best for them. That's what God wants for us. Just do what he asks us to do. And you can save yourself a lot of pain just by doing what God asks you to do and not have to be forced to do it. But it says, hold me up and I shall be safe. God's hand. There, the old poem about the footprints in the sand where the guy looks back and he says, you know, God, you said you'd always be with me. Where, why is there only one foot of pr- footprints? In, in the hardest time in my life, there's always one set of footprints. He goes, that's when I'm carrying you. I'm upholding you. I'm keeping you safe. And he wants to do that. And he says, I will have respect for your statutes. I will look at your statutes. I will honor your statutes. How many times have you been in a place that the only thing that's really kept you is just knowing God's word? God, I really want to do something else, but you know, you say it's wrong, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna honor you, God, and I'm gonna follow your way. Wish we would do it all the time and do it more often than we do. You know, God, I'm gonna have respect for your, you're supporting me, I'm gonna have respect for your statutes. I'm gonna do things your way. And, you know, we should learn our lesson because every time we don't obey the God's word, we end up with discipline. Okay, God, I did it my way. Uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Not a a great way to do things. He suffered in many ways because he did it his way. Every time we do it our way, there's going to be problems. God says, okay, you want to do it your way? Adam and Eve, you want to do it your way? You wanted to eat the fruit? Now you suffer for it. Cain, you want to do it your way? You didn't want to bring the offering of blood that I said you needed to do? I'm not accepting it. And then he got so angry at him, he killed his brother. Uh, Saul, you want to do things your way. You didn't kill the, the, all, all the people and the king and the animals like I told you to. The kingdom is no longer yours. So many times through the scriptures, people did it their way. Lot, you know, Abraham says you can have whichever land you, piece of land you want. Lot looked at it and says, I want that, I want the fertile land over there. Now, we don't really think about what a big decision that was, but you've got to understand, Lot was the younger. By the traditions and customs of the people, he would have said, that's okay, Abraham, you're the elder, you choose, and I'll take whatever you don't want. The greed of Lot to say, I want the best land. Okay, you gave me that option, I'm going to take it. And I can just picture Abraham feeling so, so brokenhearted. It's like, how far from God can you get? You're not even going to honor the customs. You know, I've been raising you like a son, and you're going to take the best and, and give me the worst. But okay, I gave it to you, go do it. I'm, and then God immediately went to him and says, look around you, everything is yours. Lot may think he won, but everything is yours. We do things our way, and there's consequences, always. And it says, I have, I have respect unto your statutes, your rules, God. Verse 118, you have trodden down all them that err from your statutes, for their deceit is falsehood. God's reaction for people who do not follow his statutes is Destruction. And literally, it says trodden down. And that means to really, it says to make light of, to toss aside. Because God, you have just tossed aside all those that err. Think about that. Tossed aside. Do you ever feel like maybe you've been tossed aside for a while? Even as a Christian? The prodigal son. Give me what what is is my due and I will... You turned your back, okay. (laughs) You know, give me, give me what, you, what is going to be mine when you die, Father, and I'll, and so that I can, because I don't want to wait. 
And he goes off and lives in riotous living and ends up coming back. God says, you want to live that way, you're gonna, I'm going gonna to stand back and let you live that way. God is so kind to us so often. He lets us wallow in the mud for a while. And we find out that the mud is not mud, it's quicksand. And we end up having to cry out for help. And we go, okay, God, this is a really fun mud bath. You know, I'm, my pig nature is going to wallow around in this mud. And then we find out it's not just mud, it is death. And we start sinking. And then all of a sudden we come to our senses and say, God, uh, help. And the good news is he's right there to help. And we call out for his help. He is there. But it says their deceit is falsehood. How many times have you even had, maybe, unfortunately, maybe done, giving ungodly advice to people? Because you don't take the moment to think about what is godly. We hear it a lot when people come up to you and say, you know, well, you know, I'm in this relationship with my spouse and they're mistreating me and this, that, and the other thing. And what's the first word? Get out of that situation and divorce them. Well, the first, you know, the get out of that situation might not be the bad, you know, too bad advice if it's really bad. But the second part of it, divorce them, is not God's way. God's way is get it worked out. Go find counseling. Get, start doing things God's way and do it correctly. God, I just don't like what this pastor's been teaching. He's been teaching the word of God, and I feel terrible every time I go hear his word because I'm living in his sin, and they're calling my life sin. And what does the world do in that case? Go find another church. That pastor's meddling in my life. And that's, you know, it's kind of funny sometimes when you preach and somebody goes, well, who told you about me? Who told you that was what I'm doing? I go, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, you preached right at me. You were looking at me the whole time you were preaching. Uh, no, I don't think I was. But if you're that guilty, then you need to go to God and get your life corrected. You know, the way of the world is full of deceit. Satan likes to lie. How do you get to heaven? Truth is, through Jesus Christ only. What does Satan do? Well, there are many paths to heaven. You can do whatever you want. You know, be good enough. Uh, hey, there is no heaven anyway, so what difference does it make? You know, all the lies that Satan has out there, and we need to be careful. Do we have our hope in God's word, or are we buying into the lies? And it's easy to buy into lies, because our flesh likes the lies usually. How do you get to heaven? Oh, I just do what I want. God is love. He'll t he'll, he's going to save everybody. Well, God is also righteous and holy. And his righteous demands judgment. And we need to be careful. Because the lie sounds so good. God is love. You know, if you've been around witnessing long enough, you're going to hear that from somebody. Somewhere is going to tell you all about how God is love. He would never send anybody to hell for eternity. Hear it all the time. But God is also perfect righteousness and holiness. And his perfect righteousness and holiness says... If you don't want me, then you're going to get what you asked for. Eternal punishment. We were created and born as eternal beings into the future. Not eternal past, but eternal future. Once you're born, you have an eternal life to live ahead of you. And it's going to be lived somewhere. Either in heaven with God or in hell away from God. And we said this before. Do not think that hell is a kingdom for Satan he is a prisoner when he goes to hell. He is not the king of hell. He is an inmate in hell. And all he's trying to do is hurt God by taking as many of his precious creation away from him. Most Christian, most people believe that he's the king of hell. Yeah. And he's not. He's a prisoner. He's an inmate. It was created for the devil and his angels as punishment for their, for their rejection. So he's a nobody, really. And the scriptures tell us that when we see him in the last days, people will go, this is who made the nations tremble? This insignificant <laughs> being is the one that caused so much trouble? And we will do the same thing when we're sitting there clothed in right righteousness of Christ, looking at Satan stand before God and being forced to bow. That is the one that caused us so much trouble on earth. 
that. And, you know, and we want to be careful even as we say that because for us right now, he is a powerful, a powerful adversary. But he is a chained and, and restrained adversary. He is like a lion roaring. He is like all this stuff. And we get afraid of him. And that doesn't mean go out and taunt him. Anybody who wants to taunt even a chained lion is a fool. Because a lion, if you just get a little too close, is going to show you that the chain is not that big a deal to him. All right. Now, if you stayed out of his range, you'd be okay. But, you know, you, you got just a little too close taunting that lion. Or even a big dog. You know, if you've ever taunted a big dog, you know, uh, on a chain. One day he doesn't have his chain on and he remembers the taunting. Uh, so we want to be, you know, he says, you have trodden down, you've made light, you've tossed aside them that err from your stand. The idea of telling God off is pretty strange anyway. God, you just don't know what you're doing. Uh, get back down here and talk to me, God, because I'm going to tell you what. But, is, but you know, Job did that. Job did that. I just want God to come down here so I can tell him that he's not being fair to me. And God came. And when God came, he goes, I shut my mouth. Because he all of a sudden knew uh, I went a little too far. And God's asking him, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Where were you when I gave the sea its boundaries? Where were you when I controlled behemoth? Where were you when I controlled and gave the, the boundaries to Leviathan? Where were you when, the, when I laid the foundations of the, of the snow and the, and the rain? Where were, and he went right down a long list and goes, and Job just said, you know, you could picture Job just sinking and probably going straight to his knees and saying, I've gone way too far, God. I've gone way too far. And we have lots of people who do just that. I'm going to tell you. <laughs> but in Job's case, I can understand that. I can a little bit. Job was an extreme case, but you know, we all end up at that same place where we think we know better than God. And you know, sometimes this is what all murmuring is all about. God, if you just understood what I'm going through, you would realize that you didn't give me enough. You didn't do enough. Now, we may not be that blunt, but isn't that really what we're saying? God, I'm just going to complain. You haven't given me what I think I deserve. Children of Israel did that over and over and over again. God, you're giving us everything we need, but you just haven't given us enough. We have to start seeing our grumbling, our griping, our murmuring to God in what it really is. God, you're just not doing what I think you should be doing. And God, you know I'm smarter than you, so my, what I think you should be doing is really important. And again, we might not say that, but isn't that really what we're telling God? God, you haven't done what I think you should do. Okay, so what are we really telling God? You know, God, uh, hey, I'm really smart down here, and you're not doing things the way I think you should be doing them, so you start listening to me. And again, you're not using those exact words. We don't use those kind of words exactly, but that's really what we're saying. If we're grumbling about what God is doing in our life, we're telling God, you don't understand, God. I'm smarter than you, and you're not doing things right. I never say that. Never, never. <laughs> but I know we're not going to say it in those terms, but God, uh, I really don't like what you're doing to me. I think, you're, I think you're making my life a little harder than it should be right now. Have we ever said that prayer to him? It would be one thing to say, I don't understand, God, why you're doing something. But understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you ever say those words, but if you're complaining, that is really what you're saying to God. And I don't know. I'm not saying anybody here is doing that. I'm just saying, well, that's what I'm saying. If you do say those kind of things, God, I just don't like what's going on. And you should be treating me better or something of that nature. Then you're, you're really saying, I, God, you're just not doing what I think you do. And I'm very important. I'm just trying to help us understand. Again, I'm taking things to its extreme. But, you know, if I'm telling God and the children of Israel did it all the time. God, you took us out of here so there wasn't enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here. God, what kind of plan did you have for us? You know, you know, we were really happy being slaves in Egypt, and you brought us out here so we'd die in the wilderness. They weren't either. They were still praying over there. Get us out of here. Well, yeah, but it's easy to forget where you, what you've left behind when you don't get what you want. Yeah. And the problem oftentimes is our expectation. What am I expecting from God? And in this Western Christianity, much of what we're taught and expected by the church is 
that I'm supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and everything's supposed to be going good, and there's no problems in Jesus Christ. You know, the old, the old thing from the 70s, Jesus is the answer. Now, yes, he is the answer, but what they meant by that was that he's going to give you everything you want, and you're not going to have any problems. And that's not what, that's not scriptural. All people in our flesh have a tendency to want things the way we want it and not the way that they are. So I'm not judging you when I say that, but I just, it is a human trait. God, I think this is the way things should be, and I'm not really sure that you're walking me down the good path, God, even though we know that he's good and he has a good plan for us and he's going to turn all things for good. God, I just don't think that this pain is really what I should be going through because I don't know how you could use this for good. We need to be very careful about our attitude toward what God has put us through. This is why the verse we're memorizing this month is so important. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of Christ of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. you know, very important. If we learn to always give thanks for what we're going through, we will turn ourselves away. And even when things seem to be looking like they're bad for us, we will learn to give thanks and go on. And you can give thanks by God. I don't understand it, but I'm going to accept what you're sending my way. You've got a reason for it, God. God is good. And all the time, God is good. And the more we understand that, no matter what comes our way, no matter how bad it looks, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it, and God is good. I'm trying but I haven't got to the part yet where I can say thank you for the please. That takes time. Verse, verse 119. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. Now, this is kind of an interesting statement. God, you literally destroy all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. This is prophetic because there's no way David, because David understood that this one wasn't true. He had so many enemies in his lifetime, and you know, I know that he wished God would put all of his enemies away right away. But you know, God uses those that are come against us to teach us something. Teach us patience. Teach us loving kindness. Teach us to be more like him. You know, if we did not go through the hardships that we go through, what would life really be like? Would we learn any lessons for God? Not really. You know, the one thing I have learned over the years is the hard things that come our way draw us closer to God. Because if nothing ever went wrong, what would I learn? Not much. I'm glad you said that because that is true. It's me, the meeker. And I'm thinking, I don't want to keep going through it, but it is drawing out. Maybe that's the only way I'm really is learning. What's my example? You know, if I'm trying to build my, I'm trying to build my bicep, and I got this little pin in my hand, I could curl this pin all day. <laughs> God, I'm going to get this arm is really going to get strong. I'm going this this one quarter ounce pin is going to really really strengthen my arm. Now, if I want to strengthen and build a muscle, I better go get a dumbbell with some weight on it. Use my purse. Yeah, <laughs> use a, use some purses. Yes, you know, but I've got to curl something that puts pain on that muscle. God says, I'm going to put your life in a place where there's going to be some pain. And from that pain, you're going to grow. You're going to get tougher. You're going to make better decisions. You're going to realize that there's better, a better way to do it. And yet, what do we do when the, when the trials come? <laughs> get this away from me. I don't want anything to do with it. Annie referenced the, the fleas. And, you know, if you haven't read The Hiding Place, you'd have no clue what she's talking about. But there was fleas in the barracks that uh, Betsy and, and Corey were in. And Betsy thanked God for the fleas. And Corey got all mad at her because, you know, what do you mean you, you know, I can't thank God for the fleas. And she goes, well, have you noticed that the guards do not even come into this barracks because of the fleas and the lice? Yeah. They had Bible studies out in the open because the barracks was never invaded by the soldiers and the guards. Can, can we see what God is doing in so much of, the, of what he does? It takes time. It takes time. It takes absolute confidence that God is good. All the time, God is good, and God is good all the time. And we've got to keep that in mind. No matter what is going on in our life, God is good. 
and he has a reason for what's going on in our life. Sometimes it may be that we deserve it. Okay, God, I've been so disobedient that he's punishing us. But even that is to keep us from doing disobedience in the future. So it's still for good. Other times it's just a test. Are you going to trust me? Much of what we go through in our life is just that. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to believe what I have told you? Are you going to hold my statutes upright and hold on to my statutes even when it looks like the wrong thing? You know, that it's bad. Are you willing to pay with your life for my testimony? So far in America, we haven't had to do that, but there are places where you may be facing a gun or a, or a sword or a, or a noose or electric or whatever it might be, and saying, are you going to trust God even though you might die? I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's answer to Nebuchadnezzar. Who's going to deliver you from my hand? I love it because they go, our God is able to, but whether he does or does not, we will not deny him. You want to throw us in that fiery furnace? Then we'll just find our way to heaven real quick. God can deliver us from it. They went into the fiery furnace expecting to be standing in the presence of God. They did not expect to be coming back out of the fire to be the witness to Nebuchadnezzar. And we have, of course, we have their story because they did come out of the, out of the fire. You know, Daniel, when he was praying to God when it was, and he was sent into the lion's den, he had a lot of confidence, but when he was thrown in the lion's den, he expected to be standing before God that within minutes having been torn up by the lions, and then he gets to sleep all night with the lions. <laughs> you know, fluffy, pillow. fluffy pillows, lots of kitty cats purring, purring around him. <laughs> they do purr. Lions purr. Oh, yeah. And they purr very loud, as a matter of fact. They're, they're just big cats. And you know, to prove that they were hungry, when they, they threw in the 120... Uh, members who made the argument and their families, they were ripped up before they even hit the floor. So they were hungry lions that he was thrown into. You know, God can deliver us. Will he deliver every single person? Fox's Book of Martyrs is full of people who weren't delivered. They proved their love for God by their death. You know, there's going to come a time when even in America, we may have to prove our love for God by death and imprisonment. Are we ready? We've seen over the years that just imprisonment, just death is not enough. Fox's Book of Martyrs, when you read it, they embarrassed people. They put them to great shame to try to embarrass them into rejecting Christ before they killed them. Be ready. Prepare your hearts. We're getting closer and closer to the end times, and if God doesn't take us you know, by, in death first, we will be facing hardship. We must prepare our hearts. And I've shared this many times. If we cannot stand for God right now, when there's nothing to be lost by, by standing for him, we won't stand for him in the future when, there's, when our life is on the line. I, I, people will go, well, you know, I will stand for God. Well, you won't even tell your neighbor that you're a Christian, and you think you're going to tell the executioner that you're a Christian? Not going to happen. Some of us, yes. Our neighbors all know. Verse 120. My flesh trembles for the fear of you. I am afraid of your judgment. Now this word for tremble, it's a very strong word. It is, I am terrified and afraid. It says, I am in dread. My my skin has got goosebumps on it. I am terrified. Do we have that attitude toward God that my flesh, and listen to this, my flesh trembles and is afraid. Our flesh should tremble in front of God. It's supposed to be crucified. It is supposed to be dead. Anytime that we stand before God in our flesh, we should be trembling. Isaiah, well, Everybody who sees God falls, falls on their face. Everybody who sees an angel falls on their face. That's why I love the song, you know, I can only imagine. But, you know, the answer to that song is we're going to fall flat on our face, especially the first time we see him. Now, maybe in 100,000 years or something, I may be able to stand in his presence. But that first time we go into his presence, 
we're going to hit our face so fast on the dirt that we're going to go, what happened? <laughs> you know, our first time in front of the holy righteousness of God will be just, oh, so wonderful because of our, we're standing in front of the one that hopefully we've adored for our entire life. My flesh trembles for fear of you. I am afraid of your judgments. You know, this in, in our flesh, we should be very fearful of God. This is why he tells us over and over in the New Testament that we need uh, the New Testament that we need to be crucified. Our flesh must be crucified. We must be clothed in Christ. We go back to the very beginning that I hide in you. You're my secret place. I'm hiding in you. I have the righteousness of Christ. Otherwise, I couldn't stand in front of God. Anybody who wants to stand in their flesh is asking for trouble. You know, the white throne judgment is going to be full of people who wanted to trust in their flesh. And they're going to bow down too when they stand in front of the holy God, but it is too late. They'll even call him Lord at that time, and it is too late. Once they have passed from this world, it is too late to change your mind. And this is the amazing thing. The short, tiny, infinitesimal time on earth that we spend determines eternity. And we should be just heartbroken about people that we know that are headed for hell that do not accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And not just in words, but literally bow their knee to God now. And I have met so many people who claim to be Christians that don't bow their knee to Christ. They want to tell God how they're going to do things. They want to tell God how they're going to live. They're going to tell everybody what God has told them, which doesn't match up to the scriptures. And you're going, I don't know who you're listening to, but you're not listening to the God spirit. Any time that you're being told something in your brain that is contrary to God's word, it is not God you're listening to. All right? And we have to, that's the first thing to understand. This is his word. He will always be true to his word. If you're being told anything that's contrary to the word of God, you're not listening to the right spirit. You're listening to deceiving spirits. You're, you're listening to the angel of light. And Satan is told to us that he appears as an angel of light. He is the father of lies. And the best lies have a lot of truth in them. Because they want to remember what they told you the lies about. But how much untruth do you have to have in something to be a lie? Not much. And Satan is really good about leading us down. You know, God is love. He really is love. So that means if he's really love and we, we know that he's love, he won't send anybody to hell. Quick, surefire way to go to hell. But you understand what I'm saying? And we'll meet all these people who will tell us all these half-truths that they've been taught by, very, by a whole number of people, and they're headed straight to hell because of the half-truths. Many of these Christians who go, well, the God's word is full of errors. Jesus sinned. There is no thing, such thing as Satan. They, you know, if, there, if there is you know, a heaven and a God to judge, there won't be eternal judgment. The Jehovah's Witness and Mormons, you're judged, you're punished for a short time, and you're annihilated. You cease to exist. That's their teaching. Many religions have this idea that if there is a hell, it's short term. You'll burn up. You're being thrown in fire. Look, we throw a log into a fire, and it burns up, and it disappears. So you're going to get into fire. You'll burn up for a little period of time, and then you'll be gone. Not what God says. You know, he says where your conscience torments you for eternity, where the, your outer darkness away from God, no light, and the fire burns. Fire that has no light. What happens if somebody says, well, I know there's a better place, and that's it. And they won't say. They're probably not following God. That's what I mean. You know, all of these terms, there's a better place. Yeah. Well, what do you mean by a better place? That's what I mean. uh, you know, how do you get there? What, what is a better place? What are you talking about? Well, I just believe that God would be so much loving, there's no way he'd send somebody to, to be punished forever. Uh, I believe that if I do more good than bad, I, will, I can do it my way. Jesus died for no reason at all. Jesus, God sent him so that there would be lots of different ways to heaven, and he wasted his time dying for man. Because if i just good enough, I don't need Jesus. You think about this. When you think about Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. He meant it. If there was any other way, Jesus wouldn't have come to die. 
I will exalt my, my, my throne to be like the Most High. Now, Satan didn't want to necessarily be greater than God, but he wanted to sit equal to God. I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be right there next to him. And what was his temptation to Eve? He knows that when you eat that fruit, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. Matter of fact, you'll be just like me. I know good and evil. And they sold dominion of this world to Satan so that they could be like God. And Jesus had to come back to this world to take back the title deed to this world. And that cost him his life. And we've talked about this. It cost the Father separation from the Son as well. You know, God the Father and the Holy Spirit went through just as much pain for our salvation as Jesus went through. Because the real pain that he went through is the separation from the Father. Yes, he went through some physical pain, but it was the emotional pain of being separated from, an, from a part of him that he had never been separated from all of eternity. It was the real pain that he went through. And Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit all suffered that pain for our salvation. What a cost that they paid for us. All because he decided to make man knowing that we would sin. I can't understand it. I can't understand that he created man knowing that we were going to sin and knowing that the cost that the, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit were going to have to pay for our redemption. Separation from one part of himself. You know, an extreme cost. And we want to, and some people want to take that and, and look at it as cheap. You know, our salvation is so cheap. It didn't cost anything but Jesus' death on the cross. It cost everything to the entire trinity of the Holy of God. They all paid the price for our salvation. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you. We ask that you bless our time as we go out today that you will guide and lead us in all that we do. Give us opportunities to share you and give us a heart to share you with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.